2: Hello and welcome to All Stats Aren't We, a podcast in which two fans cast their combined eye over goings-on at Leeds United, giving scrutiny to the underlying statistics and tactical footings at work at Elland Road. I'm John McKenzie, freelance writer and podcaster, and I'm joined by Jamie Kemp, football editor at Opta Sports. Jamie, how's it going?
3: Not too bad, thanks, John. How are you?
2: Yeah, good. Feeling a lot more positive <clears throat> than I have been in a long while but yeah we've got plenty of games to talk about in february so it's almost scary how many games there have been um in in the shortest month of the year um and actually i was just while i was preparing for this i was actually looking forward um to the games that we've got coming up but there's only four games in in march which is really nice given that we we want as few games as possible i think to to get this over the line but um yeah i'm just looking here seven games in the championship in in february um partly because there was an extra day uh, with the 29th um, and the 29th was a match day and the first was a match day so between that we had two midweek fixtures as well and that meant that we we ended up with seven games which is incredible really. Um, General thoughts on February? Funny month?
3: Uh, Yeah it's uh, a lot lot of well we've come out of it in a great way but to start with another home defeat to Wigan is just beyond belief as as Bielsa said it was a a game impossible to lose that we actually did but 29 days later we're in we're in a fantastic position again um, with control over the top two and I I think uh, a platform to now go and win the championship not just uh, to finish in the top two
2: Mm. So let's talk about the slump and get it out the way. Um, what's your general uh, prognosis on on the the slump? Is there anything on the un, on the underlying ta- uh, stats side of things that suggests something was going wrong, or do you think that the driver was probably more psychological and um, and and that led to the underlying numbers reflecting that?
3: Yeah, I, th- I think the slump was mostly conditioned by just a really horrible spell of sort of individual errors and some some dodgy referee decisions that, that put us in bad spots to, to have to try and claw our, our way out of. But I think the numbers have been pretty steady throughout, e- even in the rough patches of results. It's, you, look, you look at the numbers still from performances in terms of chances created and allowed, and it, it's not a it's not a drastic drop off from our, our usual level um, throughout the season the numbers have have been good obviously we have high points which we're we're in right now thankfully so um if we can maintain um, our current level even a slight dip in that should be enough for these last ten games to to get us where we want to be
2: what's we've not really talked about. Bamford in the last few weeks so much because of everything else that's been going on but do you think looking back over February that Bielsa has been justified in his his, his almost slavish devotion to putting Bamford in the team sheet?
3: You could say it result-wise now because obviously think things for Bamford are probably as bad as they can get while still keeping the guy in the team in terms of his job as a number nine, in terms of scoring goals um, but At this point, especially with just 10 games to go at Bamford, it feels like most people have just accepted this is the way it's going to be. He's always underperformed his his expected goals total since he played his first game under Bielsa, which was near the start of last season. So I think we've seen that we we can get results with with Bamford not scoring at the rate you would expect to number nine in this team too. But while offering the other things to his game, So I think we've come this far without him. We've got 10 games to go. If he starts those 10 games, we should still have the resources there to to get the points we need to get promoted.
2: Do you expect to see his... Um, figures upturn in the next 10 weeks or do you think that that there's almost a sense in which you're expecting him to be off the boil for the last 10 games and hopefully a, 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 well who knows what will happen after the summer but you would expect for his career that he would um, have a, a good break over the summer and come back and st- start hitting somewhere near his, um, his expected goals totals
3: Yeah I, I really wouldn't bet any money on him turning it around uh, per se uh, I just think it's been this way for so long now that I've, for, for quite a long time in that period, I've, I've always held the hope that things would just turn around and be, be normal again. But I think we're that far in with this being such a recurring theme that I don't put any particular hope in it doing so. I just, I'll be pleasantly surprised if it does. And of course, we all, we all want him to.
2: Right, let's go through the games then. Um, what? roughly one by one but we can throw some together so you've got the Wigan game which you've already mentioned uh, a 1-0 loss uh, which was followed by the the Forest game um, which was a 2-0 loss um, exaggerated a little bit by the fact they got a late goal when Leeds were pushing um, and that represents the end of the, the slump really because after that you have Brentford which is a 1-1 draw which I think most people would, would have down as the turning point. Um, we can discuss why that might be the case. Uh, but then series of 1-0 wins against Bristol City, Reading and Middlesbrough. And then obviously that thumping 4-0 win over Hull City at the weekend. Um, I think what's most interesting about those those fixtures, if we could talk about this in a bit, is that is the fact that there'd been a lot of talk, one about Bamford not scoring, but but also senior players um, sort of standing up and taking uh, and making making things happen for the the team and we saw that happen with goals from hernandez and uh, click important players um but yeah let's go back to so so the two slump um games um and then brentford what do you think happened between forest and brentford was it is it just simply the case that, that something clicked and 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 belief was back in the team it's a horrible thing to say as a stats um analyst to to talk about something like that but it did it did feel very much like that that brentford game was the turning point and i wondered why you whether you could put your finger on why that was the case
3: yeah it's, it, it is really difficult to to put an actual sort of pin in terms of where things changed obviously it's very easy to do it just just looking at results um and take that as the point where it all changed but um, I think even in the the run of uh, dodgy results around Christmas of course we weren't we weren't at our spectacular best um, but I do think we were we're unfortunate with quite a few results in there which, which maybe maybe makes it feel a bit more drastic in terms of there being a turnaround point um, but yeah I, I think since that Brentford um, first half as, as soon as Cassia, got his mistake out of the way it did feel like we just got back to playing our our normal level and things have just seemed a bit more streamlined since then uh I think it's just the combination of the fact we've we've got our our classic Bielsa style going again um controlling possession uh and limiting opposition chances that way while also just just being a bit more clinical intact than usual uh I think the combination of that plus the fact we've seen individual errors cut out since Sen has just got us back onto onto the track of where, where the data says we should be in the league, which is pushing for the title, not just uh, hoping for second.
2: Why do you think the that uh, loss of control happened? Because, I mean, it's something I've been thinking about because we, we missed Calvin Phillips for three games and obviously that was important, but the slump preceded that and... um. We lost that control with with Phillips as well um, on on the on the team before that that slump or during that slump. Sorry, so I wondered if you thought that there was any sort of explanation for that. I think partially it, the the explanation has to be down to those times when Dallas was playing as a, a out and out midfielder. Um, I think against against Hull he played as a more of a a wing back in that three three one three formation that we've seen. But um, I wondered if you thought there was any other explanation for that lack of lack of control. Um,
3: I think yeah Phillips is a big factor but like I say he was part of quite a few of those games um, I think uh, possibly it's something we mentioned before um, uh, game state which, which is which happened um, quite a lot in the bad run where we'd find ourselves a goal down from f- fortuitous situations and then it, it just sort of we've always been good at um, keeping our style of play no matter what the game state is and not revert to long balls and stuff like that but um I, I just think um when when we go down one nil down especially th- through a, a an individual error or some some type of crazy goal which seemed to happen a lot in that spell i just think it perhaps knocked us out of our rhythm a bit um and i think in this recent run of wins we've you know we, we've we've more often than not scored the first goal and we've just sort of flowed from there
2: yeah and I suppose I guess Kiko Casillas made a lot of mistakes in that in that period, and um, I know Phil Hay likes to point to that interview that he did with with Luke Ayling after uh, I think it was the Forest game, where I think that it, there was a sort of general sense in his answers that that Leeds were playing good football, but but I think only up to a point I think is the phrase and um, it's, it seems as though there was there's a sort of resignation that you can play football as well as you want but unless you're clinical unless you're getting those goals then it, it feels almost like a waste of time and I wonder whether or not um, the, the Kiko Kassia, um run of form where he was giving away just clangor after clangor whether or not you think that probably impacted the, the team too I mean you've mentioned individual errors but it did seem as though those most of those individual errors were coming from Kiko Kasia and uh, I guess when your goalkeeper is making individual errors at the rate that he was, I mean, we talk a lot about that, uh, I think it was a six game Run where Casir K- was conceding something like around seventy five percent of his shots on targets, which which is just really really not admissible uh, at, at this at, at, at the level of a team who are hoping to get promoted in the championship. So, um, yeah, how how much do you think that, that impacted the that run of form and the game state as you've mentioned?
3: Yeah, I think massively, um, especially in a team like Leeds on the BL, so given the amount of analysis and preparation. Um, in the training ground, watching videos, just, just so much that is invested to every game to then go into it and be one 0 down because of just a ridiculous error. Just it must feel so demoralizing. It also feels when we spend so much time analyzing this team, it it, it almost feels t- too easy for us to say that. Well, our, our lack of results is down to the fact that our keepers not saving shots on target. Uh, there's so many things we could look at, but that is literally the reason that we were suffering in that part of the season um, so, so when those things stop happening it, it, it just feels like the sun's come back out again and every, everything's fine again
2: mm. I think especially when you have those series of 1-0 wins that we've had after Brentford so 1-0 over Bristol City, Reading and Middlesbrough that's that's the sort of game where you, you go from ha- having three points to a keeper error giving up two points and again that that's... Um, that sort of fragility, particularly defensively, is is what has been killing Leeds recently. So, um, in terms of those three one nil wins, how? I mean, obviously, all of those games felt to a certain degree as though Leeds deserved to win them comfortably, and they didn't. Um, how 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 did you view those those games? Did you were you expecting that run of form to be quite as uh, squeaky bum as it was?
3: Um, no. Obviously, when it when the margin is is one goal, and it it will always feel a little bit nervy, even if just for sort of five ten minutes at the end. But starting with that Bristol City game, that was at least in terms of um, the the XG difference on that game across the two teams was our pretty much our best performance of the season, if you exclude when we played Wigan away and they had ten men for a long spell, and we just completely dominated in terms of eleven v eleven. That was as dominant a performance as we've put in this season uh, and it it really should have been much more than 1-0. Uh, I think Bristol were looking to get out of a sort of Hull City 4-0-esque uh, result there um, and then not quite as dominant against Reading but definitely worth the victory. Um, I think that Le- Liam Moore chance uh, sort of skewed the the XG readings a bit. I think that would be a a much more dominant-looking performance on paper, if not for that late, sort of close-range chance, which it was a chance, but maybe not as big as the XG numbers uh, represented on that occasion. Um, and, yeah, s- same at Middlesbrough. Um, XG was 2.1 to 0.6. So, again, it's a 1-0 victory, but the performance maybe merited a touch more.
2: Yeah, uh, and I suppose the 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 whole game is is a combination of the the two factors that Leeds weren't being very efficient in the previous games, and then suddenly a very efficient run of form uh, in that well in that one game. Um, but also Hull were pretty abject, and uh, we all know the reasons why uh, they're struggling at the moment. How? How important do you think the, the 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 big win is for Leeds? Do you think that's something now which has really got the monkey off their back?
3: Definitely, yeah. Um, just to see four goals going at the other end must be must be a a great feeling for the the back four, especially plus Phillips. Um, you've you've seen Cooper Cooper and White in recent interviews saying it'd be nice if we could win a game by more than one goal and be able to relax a bit. So. I think that that's that's a great confidence boost heading into the final ten games. Um, but but yeah, the performance that day was great, um, and pretty much pretty much similar to the previous four games in terms of overall dominance. I think I just think it, maybe the the score line was for for once we converted at a high rate, but also we're we're playing as a team in, in a real crisis where it was a team who were so set in their ways two years into a project against a team who've just had theirs ripped apart in January. So that's what happens.
2: Interesting run of uh, clean sheets as well. You've already mentioned the defence. Um, I think before um, Bristol City, it had been something like 12 games without a clean sheet. Um, and then to go on that run of of sheets, Three one 1-0 wins with clean sheets. Where that that clean sheet makes the difference between dropping points. Um, do you have any sense of why that turnaround happened? Do you do you think it, again it's just one of those things where we tightened up, we didn't make errors, and and we just did what we were doing?
3: Yeah, we've we've certainly tightened up uh, since Brentford um, in terms of chances conceded. Uh, the xG against is back to that sort of uh, level from around August September time when. We had Phillips and Forshaw in the team together and we were just controlling the game with, with the ball, really, not doing so much defending, uh, which kept those numbers really low. But I think it's uh, slightly different stylistically this time, uh, this run of clean sheets compared to our last run uh, of four. Um, But, yeah, these, pl- playing like this, uh, giving up so few chances, then we're, we're in a great position to, to keep picking up points, even if that conversion rate doesn't take a jump. Uh, an extended one after, after the whole game.
2: Yeah, you think that defensively is the defense is the key at the moment, right? If we if we're not having the same level of of efficiency as most of our rivals are having, then it seems as though it it's fundamental that we keep up this, this um, defensive run. Um, I want to talk about players through February because I think we've seen some shifts in the narratives. Obviously, we've talked a lot about Bamford already, but Tyler Roberts is a player who's come in, got that two um, excellent goals and looked like the striker that we all wish that Patrick Bamford was. Um, how important do you think that will be for for Leeds going forward? Do you think that there's no chance that Bielsa will start him, or do you think that you would prefer playing him as a as a sub that can come on with 30 minutes to play and make something happen?
3: Yeah, Roberts, uh, his cameo at Hull was 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 another sort of great boost along with the scroll line in terms of things that we've maybe been missing. Um, just get, getting that conversion rate up, plus having. A player who can come off the bench and actually make sort of cameo appearances would be would be a lovely addition to this this final ten games. Um, like you said, I I don't think there's any chance of Bielsa dropping Bamford at this point with ten games to go. Uh, so if if we can get um, just just a nice boost of Roberts for twenty minutes off the end at the end, if if we need it, then that's that, that's going to be welcome. You uh, saw. So, He scores two from basically two chances, which is just unheard of conversion rates for a Leeds player under Bielsa. So I don't know whether he's got the magic touch at the moment or what, but yeah, if if we can add that to our arsenal uh, for the rest of the season, then we are going to take some serious stopping.
2: Yeah, it really didn't feel like watching a Leeds game uh, on, on on the weekend, did it? It felt very, very comfortable. It felt as though we had finally one of those players who can just make something happen, goals scoring wise, out of nowhere. Um, and I think that gave the team a huge amount of confidence as well. Um, felt as though the, the team, weirdly, felt as though in the whole game, for me anyway, um, we'd been complaining a lot about Leeds players' abilities to um, hit the ball cleanly. And it felt as though we had a lot of shots outside the box for one for Leeds anyway. But we know we know that I'm sure they haven't been encouraged to do that because the the received wisdom now is that shooting outside of the box is a a low percentage. But we saw that happen a lot. Leeds didn't put up a huge amount of XG, but it did feel as though they tested the keeper quite a bit. Um, and I wonder whether or not you thought there was maybe some kind of impetus from Bielsa there. Whether or not you think Bielsa was like, "Come on, let's just let's just try and look a little bit more dangerous in the final third, even even if it's not percentage stuff. At least we're we're forcing them to forcing them to respond to." Um, this is always my opinion, actually, on on low xG chances, is that yeah, of course you're less likely to score, but at the same time, if you are a team like Leeds who you see a lot of uh, opposition sitting deep against them. If you're not taking shots from distance they're going to be comfortable sitting deep if you start taking shots from distance and those are dangerous then you're forcing their defenders to make a decision about whether or not to push out and that's obviously correspondingly going to create space in behind uh, and I think for me that 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 was part of the, the difference of what we saw on against Hull was that yeah we maybe didn't create the sort of walk-in chances that we want where, where Bamford is going to miss them on the line um, albeit unlucky, unluckily uh, the other week but um, I I wondered whether or not you thought you thought that was a, a general tactical um, point of view, that, that or there was a tactical impetus behind that, or whether or not it was just um, Lee's were, were were trying to take the make the most of playing against Hull, who were obviously a little bit shambolic.
3: I forgot to check whether whether we'd had a um, a lot more shots from outside the box than normal, but watching the game, it, it did feel that way. Um, but yeah, I do think even in this world of expected goals and the closer you can get to goal to shoot the better um, all this narrative I, I do think there is something in just ha- having a different variety of attack when you, mu- when you have as much as the ball as Leeds do you know we average 60 65 66% possession uh, most games uh, even more so at home I, I think you can get away with you know 3-4 attempts from outside the box a game even if they amount to nothing, just to just to add that variety to the defence and maybe perhaps force some midfielders to to come out of the edge of that box to to close down opportunities. Even if the threat's there, if you can drag players out and move the ball on somewhere else, we might open up spaces. So yeah, hopefully that's that's a theme for the rest of the season. Just testing the keeper from range a bit more often
2: another player that we should talk about is Matthias click it feels as though in the last few games in particular he's really come into his own um he's someone who's gone under the radar i think quite a lot there's there are some people who are members of the click fan club and have been for for a long time um he obviously had a great game against arsenal which i think caused a lot of people to to notice him but how important do you think click is just generally for the for the team like what what how do you Judge um, the 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 impetus that he has as a member of the team in a position which I think a lot of people would like him to be more of a classic number ten, and he obviously doesn't fulfil that position.
3: Yeah, I think he's been he's been immense this, this past four or five games at least. Um, just just doing absolutely everything that a number eight uh, is asked to do in this Bales team in terms of linking players, structuring attacks, while also making countless runs off the ball, even even when uh we're out of possession. Just just the recovery runs and the man to man marking, he's 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 put it all together superbly this this past uh sort of three three, four weeks. Um but in, in terms of his overall importance to the team, especially with the ball, I think I think you could even argue he's he's more influential in possession than Hernandez is going forward in terms of structuring attacks. Um I was looking at some of our advanced metrics um, at Opta uh, just this morning. Um, and in terms of open play involvement in sequences that end in shots, Click is our, is our most sort of active player in that sense. Um, the only player in the league who's been involved in more open play sequences ending in shots is Saeed Benrama. And he's he's obviously got a much more attacking role than Click. So I, I think that construction of, of chances. Uh, from midfield to attack he's he's possibly the the most the most crucial link in the whole team in terms of threading it it all together so i think you've seen in the past month how important he is and to be doing this with 82 consecutive league starts to his name is is even more impressive especially amidst the the blsa burnout narrative that usually pops up at this time of year
0: Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today.
2: We should move on to some questions, I think, um, particularly this first question from Simon Appleton, who asks, would love to hear your thoughts on all these models that have us at 95% plus probability of going up. I've seen 538, Experimental 361, and the Mark Taylor one you posted. Is that a fair reflection uh, or reality? So I contacted Mark Taylor um, <clears throat> who works at Infogol? Just for his thoughts on, on on an explanation for what actually happens when they build these models. Um, <clears throat> so he. Wrote to me, we use weighted expected goals averages over a prolonged period to create ratings for all teams. Currently, Leeds have the best attack and the second best defensive process in the championship. We estimate that Leeds would score an average of 1.9 goals against an average championship team at a neutral venue and allow 0.94 goals under the same circumstances. We have similar ratings for all 24 teams. We use these ratings to calculate match odds against upcoming opponents at, at, at the actual venues. For example, we think Leeds have a 66% chance of beating Huddersfield and a 20% chance of drawing on Saturday. We can do this for every remaining game in the Championship and run uh, 10,000 simulations of the remainder of the season. Add each point one, each goal scored or allowed to each team's current tallies to create a probabilistic final table. Leeds have a benign run in. They host the current 17th, 20th, 21st, 23rd, and 24th place sides Leeds' median median final points total in our simulations is 89 points and a goal difference of plus 36. The range of their projected final points lies between a low of 75 and a high of 98. The median points total for their promotion rivals are 86 for West Bromwich Albion, 77 for both Brentford and Fulham and 75 for Nottingham Forest. In 72 out of every 100 simulations, Leeds finish top and in 26 they finish second, securing automatic promotion 98% of the time. The remainder of the time they fall into the playoffs again, where they would be around a 30% chance to gain promotion via that route. In short, they are by far the league's best team. They are a point off top with just 10 games left. They have a relatively easy run-in. They currently have a five-point cushion to third, and they host current third-place team Fulham, against whom they have around an 80% chance of taking at least a point against. Time to chill. Um... So, I hope that that um, gives you some sort of sense of what these tables are based on. Obviously, they're running hundreds and hundreds, of, well, thousands of simulations um, to to get their probabilities. So, um, on the on the balance of the data that we've got so far, it, it's looking pretty likely that that Leeds United are going to go up. I don't know if you've got any thoughts on this, um, on these models, um, particularly Jamie. But what what are your thoughts? Do you feel the more confident having seen those high projections?
3: Yeah, I think when you see, when you see um, data guys publishing stuff like this with such such high percentages for promotions, then even if you don't know the inner workings of it, it just gives you a, a nice feeling. <laughs> but um, I think for the average football fan, when when they hear about these these simulations and processing results on computers, they get a bit spooked and maybe a bit dismissive of well, you know, football isn't played in computers and and all those types of things, but. All it is really is processing the data of things like expected goals, um, difficulty of opposition. It's just putting them all into one one big mixture and putting a number in it, which says that you know, for for all the things that Leeds are doing performance wise, in conjunction with the fact we play six of our ten games at home, uh, the difficulty of that opposition, it just it's saying that the, the chances of us getting promoted is is much more likely than not. Um, but I th- I think obviously there are fan- quite a lot of fans out there who are not really in tune with expected goals and things like that. But th- the aim of a football team is is to get as many points as they can over the course of a season. Just because we lose we lose random games at home when the expected goals totals are are so opposite to to the final scoreline, it doesn't mean we're we're on a bad track and the expected goals isn't useful. It it just means those results aren't likely to happen very often and 9 times out of 10 we do get a favorable result at home so it's just it's just adding probability and and chance from from what we display on the pitch to to what is is likely to happen going forward
2: yeah so to just summarize then basically they've taken all of the data that they've accrued across the last season uh, the way that Leeds are playing the way that oppositions are playing and they've run 10,000 simulations of the final 10 games and in their 10,000 simulations they're saying 98% of the time Leeds United got promoted Um, so yeah there's still that chance that it won't happen Um, there's still 2% chance that they, they they won't make the top two and there's still a 30% well 70% chance that they won't do it if they fall into that 2% as well uh, but the point is, is that it's in in terms of all of the data they've got to their hands, everything that about the past past season that they've looked at, all the teams that they've looked at, um, in, and the data they've got from the teams that they've looked at in the past uh, the season so far, and all of the data they've got regarding the, those teams going forward in the next five uh, ten games suggests that Leeds have a really good chance of of promotion. So, yeah, there are people pointing out that Villa only had a ten percent chance of hitting. Um, the playoffs and 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 winning the playoffs last season, yeah, it was a low percentage chance, um, and they were and there's always a chance that low percentage things can happen in football. But Leeds are pretty much as as close to to being nailed on as you can really hope for. But um, yeah, I'm sure there'll be people who think that we've probably jinxed it now. But um, hopefully that's a a good explanation for for how it is that these mathematicians come up with their probabilistic models. It's not just simply um, a, an easy process where they throw a few figures. Together, there's a there's a huge amount of data that goes into it. There's a huge amount of simulating that goes into it, and uh, on the on the basis of that, you should be fairly confident that, that Leeds have got a nice run in for the rest of the season. Another question from Dan Holdsworth. He says, "I may have asked this at the weekend, but here goes." Have we seen Costa's positioning change recently? Is he getting into more advanced positions earlier and being used as the outball more often? If so, is this a sign that Bielsa trusts him more now? Uh, so, yeah, that's Dan Holdsworth. Um, my initial thoughts on this are... Um, that the use of the use of Costa in a, as an out ball has been happening for a while now. Um, it Particularly, happens from goal kicks, which we rarely, if we take kicks long from the goalkeeper, um, there there's, there is a pattern that we play where Patrick Bamford will shift right into Helder Costa's position, and Helder Costa will move centrally, and the the plan is to hit the the right sided channel. Get Bamford's well, hit Bamford's head. Get Bamford to feed that ball centrally, and then Costa, obviously with his speed, can get in behind the defence uh, and make the difference there. We've been seeing that for probably a couple of months now. Um, so I think there's already there's always been that thinking about how do we get how do we get Costa into those more dangerous positions that we saw him in when he was at Wolves. Um, we the way that the style that we play doesn't necessarily favour him. We've we don't necessarily hit him in space, um, in behind the fullbacks often because the fullbacks will be a little bit more uh, deep, well, be a little bit deeper than they usually are against Leeds. So there has been a, there has been a, cre- a creativity in trying to think of how you can get Costa into those positions where you fancy him, and and those positions where his USP is really being highlighted, his speed, his uh, ability to move round players in isolated positions. Um, whether or not that's changed uh, of late in, in terms of his positioning on the wide um, areas, I don't know, I wouldn't like to say. Um, I do feel as though um, there has been a difference with Costa, but I, I, it's not something that I've um, actually noted um, specifically in, in recent games. I don't know if you've got any thoughts on this, Jamie.
3: I had a quick look uh, just after reading the question uh, this morning. Uh, obviously, we didn't have time to analyse game footage or anything like that to see if his positioning has changed, but there has been an upturn in ter- just in terms of his activity inside the opposition box. So his shots from inside the box are up, um, as are his, his touches in the opposition box over this past. Four or five games from what they were used to, so maybe there is something in in a bit more uh bit more speculative uh position or, or aggression in terms of attacking attacking the box. Uh, not hundred percent sure why that is, but I do think also maybe it seems a bit more apparent when we when we've had a run of away games, just because there's a bit more space for him, and it, it, it's easier for us to find uh, more counter attacking opportunities. I think, especially in the second half at Hull, he had he had a lot of um, opportunities in space where either he was leading counterattacks or or forming strong parts of them. So, I just I just think, especially when he gets the chance chance to break from deep or get involved in attacks where teams don't have you know a big advantage in numbers behind the ball, it's it's easy for him to to penetrate and really put pressure on on opposition teams. Um, but obviously we've we've got six of our last ten games at home, so I think there's going to be a, a bit more precision required from him uh, in terms of breaking breaking teams down and maybe he won't be afforded the chance to, to stretch his legs quite as often.
2: Yeah, I mean, instinctively it feels as though he's playing a little bit more like Pablo Hernandez in terms of going centrally more often. Um, it would be interesting to look at Luke Ayling's figures as well because I feel as though... Uh, Costa and Costa plays best when Ailing is getting beyond him, um, so he has a, a bit of a foil against him. Um, his own runs and um, with those two working in tandem, they can both they can often both get into isolated positions, or one can get in behind the defence and then and then they can find that um, run along the byline. It feels like we've been seeing that loads recently, where either. Ailing or or Costa get particularly with Costa I think he he sort of hits the byline one on one with a full back or a central defender and can get around them along the byline and force another defender over and then lay the ball back we saw that with um we've seen that a few times we've seen that with Ailing as well but Ailing, I think it tends to be the ball played in behind he hits the byline and then cuts it back we saw that with that with the Bamford chance where um was that against I oh, got like the 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 one where it was the sitter that that would have gone in, but for uh, Ryan Ryan Shotton wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, sorry. game, yeah. Um, so I, I whether or not that's a, a a new thing, or whether or not it's because we've got Ailing back and Costas more settled, and um, it feels as though the the team is is in a good run. Um, it does feel as though he has been a little bit more incisive, but that that incisiveness I think is the is the word of the the last five games, Uh, the last four or five games, is that Leeds have have started looking more dangerous. They've started taking the game to their opponents and realised that efficiency isn't just about... uh, Or being an efficient team isn't just about creating chances, it's about taking those chances as well and... um Hopefully they'll continue with that sort of vein of efficiency as they as they go forward. Uh, a question from Matt Chapman. He he asks if the season has to play out behind closed doors due to the uh, to the coronavirus. Do you expect this to hinder Leeds's momentum? Um, I mean, this is just an op-ed p- p- question for us, but um, we don't, obviously don't have any data on that sort of thing. I suppose the, the, the point of the question is do we think that the lack of crowds would would be positive or negative for Leeds? Um, I think there's a lot of people who think actually the, the crowd at Elland Road is quite um, is quite uh, a negative uh, factor in, in Leeds games. So I suppose there's some people who may think that not having uh, crowds or games played behind closed doors might actually be beneficial for, for Leeds. But um, I don't know whether or not you have any thoughts either way on that.
3: Yeah, it's it's purely hypothetical, but I think not having our crowd from from the start of a game, uh, especially in that uh, that early part of games where uh, Ellen Road noise r- really does count for something. But when we when we can score in those early stages and the and the crowd gets up, it just feels like we we ride a wave to most results. But in the tough moments, like after Casir and Cooper clashed in the playoffs last year. If everyone could have left the stadium, then I think would have had more chance to get back <laughs> in the game than than not because it was just it was just permanent fear. But um, if if you're looking at um, home advantage in the league, then playing Leeds at Elland Road is is the most difficult uh, place to play, both both anecdotally and and statistically. Um, one one stat I've mentioned before is expected goal ratio. So this. This is just the, the overall uh quality of chances in a game and, and what percentage of that is represented in leaders' favour. Um Leeds XG ratio at, at Ellen Road is is seventy two per cent and from open play it's seventy nine per cent. So that that's a that's a huge monopoly over chances uh at Ellen Road this season and playing that way, if you can maintain those standards which which we have done until now it's it gives you a massive platform to pick up results.
2: Yeah, I, 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 I'd agree with that. And, and so I, I suspect that our answer would be, again, anecdotally, but it probably wouldn't be a good thing if games had to be played behind closed doors. But that said, I still think that uh, Leeds would be hugely in favour. And one final topic of discussion. Barney Stewart says, Harrison, that's it. So I, I guess he wants us to t- talk a little bit about, about um, <clears throat> Jack Harrison's last few games. I feel as though the whole game was a game which... Um, for a lot of people, um, was was testament to how far Jack Harrison's come uh, under Bielsa. Um, perhaps that game was—I mean, that, that game he terrorised the fullbacks, but it was also full uh, a Hull, and we did just terrorise them generally. I wonder whether or not you think that game was sort of the the optimal sort of game for someone like Jack Harrison. Um, but yeah, let's let's have your general thoughts as well on on Harrison.
3: I think. Um he's been a really good uh, performer in the, in this winning run of late and in the season overall if you look at his just his, uh, just his general threat as an attacking player if you look at expected goals and expected assists per 90s last season it was 0.32 per 90 for expected goal involvement and this season he's, he's up at nearly 0.5 so that might not mean a great deal to your average fan but that that shows he's getting in much better positions to to score and supply goals for his teammates, which is exactly why Bielsa brought him back because he felt he was on the right path of progression to to produce more this season for the team. And as a as a winger, one of his his prime roles is is to affect games with his dribbling. And again, his his dribble attempts per night are pretty similar to last season, but his his dribble success rate has has gone up massively and at this point he's actually one of the most effective high volume dribblers in the league so if you look if you're looking at his his performances just in terms of progression season upon season then he's very much on the right track and someone that I've no doubt Bielsa so will will want to keep around whether we go up or not this season
2: hmm. still worries about his again maybe his decision making um Particularly, I think when he gets when he beats a man, sometimes seems as though he makes the wrong decision. Do you think that's a something that which is a, a general worry about his game or not?
3: I think he he still have the odd games where he doesn't quite look as confident um, as he maybe should be when he, when he's fronting up defenders. I do think he's guilty of sometimes beating his man, getting a bit of daylight to cross the ball or or make his next action. And then he feels like he needs to, to somehow cut in and, and beat him again. Maybe almost like it requires more than he thinks um, to beat his man. But I think the other main thing that a lot of people accuse Harrison of is is poor crossing, which sometimes it does feel that way in the stadium. But when, when you look in comparison with other championship players in terms of their accu- accuracy on uh, crosses, then... He's he's pretty much right around league average so, so not particularly bad and you know, it's not a massive issue, I don't think. I think if you were talking about Harrison as a, a player who regularly picks out wonderful crosses and these these Kevin De Bruyne threw balls into the box, then you are talking about a player who shouldn't be playing in the championship because he's he's got a lot of other good parts to his game and the fact that he's he's ended up with Marcel Celebi Elsa in in his early twenties, I think he's gonna it set his career up uh, in a brilliant way. Mm,
2: no, agreed. So that brings us to next month. So ne- next month we have four games. We have uh, a game, obviously, coming up against Huddersfield. And then the following week, a game against Cardiff. So, the two final quote-unquote, more scare-quote, easy games before Fulham. Um, and then we have Luton. The, so, the Fulham game is midweek. And then we have Luton the weekend after that. So, uh, all of our games coming early on. And then a two-week break until we play Blackburn in, in April. Um, thoughts on how how uh, March is going to look for us Um Huddersfield is going to be a tough game no doubt. Cardiff oh, we know what happened at at, at home uh, and then obviously the Fulham game. How how are you how are you viewing March as a as a prospect for Leeds? I th-
3: I think I'll, I'll I'll start to really think about the uh what 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 our state of play is after that Fulham game. I'm interested to see our results up to then because I think if we can just keep Keep the margins as they are now in terms of points heading into that Fulham game I think I think the atmosphere at Ellen Road that night will be absolutely ferocious in a game where we could really spook Fulham into just freezing on the night um maybe in a way we did to uh, West Brom last season when we beat them four nil it will feel like a big night sort of sort of a playoff atmosphere uh so I think if we could get to that point in in a similar position now or maybe even extend it uh, with, with good results in our next two games then we could we could really uh, make a big blow in the league uh, that night um, but like I said I just think the fact that we've got six of our last ten games at Ellen Road um, just our baseline levels of performance at Ellen Road should in theory um, give us give us the, the large bulk of our points for the rest of the way just from those home games and Anything we pick up away from home, there might not be a, a huge need to to win um, all of those away games. So, I just think if we can take care of business at Ellen Road, I think we're going to be fine.
2: Yeah, and I think that means that the, the next time we record this podcast, I think we will we'll pretty much have a good sense of whether or not the end of our of our season is going to be a comfortable sort of. Uh, wander across the line, or whether or not it's going to be tight. So let's hope that the the next four games are great for us, and uh, we the next time we speak again, Leeds will almost be guaranteed of promotion. We hope so. Um, just a few housekeeping things. Um, obviously, you can follow us on Twitter at All Stats, aren't we? We have a Love Sport Radio show still on Friday nights between eight and nine PM. Although that is changing in a few weeks, uh, but I will give more details of that in the future, probably on the Twitter account. Uh, We have a Medium blog as well. Josh Hobbs has just written a piece which is going to go up today, which is on a topic that I've completely forgotten, Um, but that will go out on our Twitter as well. And then finally, we have a Patreon account where we put out bonus material, uh, particularly podcasts. This week, I'm going to put up a half an hour interview that I had with Phil Hay, which has gone out as a, a produced episode on Football Today. Um, a 20 20 minute episode but this is the full 30 minutes so if you want to um, listen to Phil Hay talking about the end of the season and Marcelo Bielsa's legacy then head over to our Patreon and and sign in there and you'll be able to get um, access to that special podcast but all that's left for me me to do is say thank you to Jamie for coming on um, and let's hope that we're in a much better position when we speak again at the end of March so thanks again Jamie
3: Cheers mate, thank you